Okay, let's pray. We've got great stuff ahead of us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for this morning, for the opportunity to worship and uh, just to celebrate communion and to take time to slow down and reflect on that. And God, as we look into your word this morning, I pray that you would be clear. I pray that you'd teach us the truths uh, about yourself and about life and about us uh, that are sometimes hard to grasp. And I pray that you would give me the right words this morning to present the truths that are in your word this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are starting a new series today, and it's called The Great Beyond. And uh, we have all kinds of different pictures and thoughts about what the great beyond is, what the afterlife is about, heaven and hell and all those types of things. Um, But I think sometimes those things come from actually more from pop culture than they do from God's Word. So how many of you have seen or watched a TV show called The Good Place? Anybody watch The Good Place? Okay, a few of you. If you're not familiar with it, uh, it's a kind of a clever sort of uh, storyline. It's about the good place, which is heaven. Uh, and there's a woman who ends up in the good place, except she was supposed to end up in the bad place. And it's kind of about her story and what goes on and trying to figure out why she's in the wrong place and that type of thing. And, uh, but it's interesting. One of the funny things about this storyline is, well, first of all, there's no cussing in heaven. And so she tries to cuss and it comes out as other words, which is humorous in and of itself. Uh, but there's a woman there named Janet that if you have any questions, you just ask Janet, sort of like we have Siri today. Just ask Janet and she'll tell you all about whatever question you have. You know, and you kind of wonder, like, how much is heaven really like that? You know, can you cuss in heaven? Is there a yogurt stand on every corner in heaven? Probably not. Uh, you know, but also it's like, well, Janet will answer all of your questions. When we get to heaven, are all of our questions going to be answered? Uh, from my generation, the movie that was very popular was Ghost with Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore. How many of you have seen that movie? Okay, a lot of you have seen that movie. Uh, it's kind of a, a weird movie, but it's what happens after you die. And there's this sort of spirit world that goes on. And so Patrick Swayze dies and he kind of channels himself through Whoopi Goldberg to try and help solve his murder and why he died and so forth like that. And, but it, again, it kind of raises a question of, can the dead communicate with those who are living. Another uh, movie from uh, a little bit even before that time was a movie called Heaven Can Wait. Anybody see Heaven Can Wait? Okay, a few of you have seen that. It's a fascinating kind of storyline where you have this guy and he's riding his bike and he goes through this tunnel and he's, uh, uh, the angel who's in charge of him thinks that he's going to get hit by a truck uh, and so he pulls him out so he doesn't have to suffer the pain of dying Uh, and just goes straight to heaven. Well, it turns out he was going to miss the truck, and so he arrives in heaven, and they look at the roles. They're like, you're not supposed to be here yet. And so there's this sort of storyline of trying to get him back in a body that was similar to what he was so he can actually play in the in the Super Bowl, interestingly enough, as today's the Super Bowl Sunday. And so, but it's just a fascinating storyline. And again, it kind of raises some questions, like, do some people die in the wrong time? What happens when we die? Do we, you know, those types of things. And so I think a lot of us have these preconceived notions about the afterlife and the preconceived notions about what happens after we die. And, and I would challenge us with this question of where do those come from? Because what we see on TV and in movies and maybe reading some books, sometimes those are very vivid pictures And because they're very vivid pictures, they win the day about what we think the afterlife is all about. And I would challenge you, where does your view of the afterlife come from? Does it come from what people have said? 
Does it come from movies? Does it come from a, a book that you read in college? Where does your view of the afterlife come from? What we're going to do over the course of this series is we're going to say, what does the Bible say about the great beyond? What does the Bible say about the afterlife? And, and I'll be real honest, as we look at this, we're going to find some answers that you have about the afterlife. Um, but I also want to warn us in a couple different ways is not all the answers that we want are given to us. We may have questions about heaven and questions about hell that we don't have the answers to, that God doesn't give us the answer to because we don't need to know it. But I would also say there's a part of this, and this is the difficulty of a series like this and bringing this stuff up. There's a part of it, it's like we may not like the answers that we find. That as we talk about these things, there's going to be some things that are hard to grasp and that we may go, I don't know that I like that. But the fact is, is what God says, God says, and it doesn't matter if we like it. And so today we're going to talk about one minute after you die. Next week, we're going to talk about heaven. Two weeks from today, we're going to talk about hell. And I think that's probably going to be the hardest sermon to figure out and listen to and figure out what God says. Um, and then the, the fourth week, we're going to talk about the return of Christ and are we in the end times and what are some of the signs of that. So that's what this series is going to look like. So we're going to start this morning with a universal truth. Here is the universal truth. Are you ready for this? Write this down, okay? You're not going to want to forget this. Ready? Here's the universal truth. Ready? All of us are going to die. You realize that? The mortality rate, 100%. All of us will die unless Christ comes back between now and week four of this series, right? All of us are going to die. It doesn't matter who you are. Everybody dies. And so as we talk about death, and what happens in the great beyond. In us, I think in most of us, there's definitely a curiosity. Like, what happens? What happens here? What happens there? Why do things happen? We have this curiosity in us, and we're going to answer some of those questions. But I think there's a bigger issue at stake here. And the bigger issue at stake is along the lines of how we, what we believe about the future affects how we live today. And I put this in your notes, and you can write this down. It's how I live today is determined by what I believe about forever. How I live today is determined by what I believe about forever. And here's the thing is, this is not a Christian statement there. That is a universal statement of no matter what you believe about the afterlife, whatever, whether you believe there is one or not, how you live today is a reflection of what you believe. You know, for example, let's say, you know, if you're an atheist or an atheist would say, well, I don't believe there's a God. I don't believe there's eternity. Well, if that's what you believe about forever, then that's going to affect how you live today. Or maybe you say, well, I believe there's a God, but I don't believe there's an eternity and that we live somewhere else, you know, forever and ever and ever. Well, if that's what you believe, that's going to affect how you live today. Or if you believe that everybody eventually goes to heaven well, that's going to affect how you live today. Or if you believe that what you do on this earth, the works that you do, the deeds that you do, the good and the bad that you do, if that's going to affect eternity, well, then that's going to change how you live today. Or if you believe that the faith that you have or the faith that you don't have affects what happens for eternity, what happens forever, well, that's going to affect how you live today as well. 
And so we're going to talk about that this morning. And, you know, it's interesting. Let me just make a quick aside. Is a lot of us love to plan for vacations, right? Like you're going on vacation and you say, where do we want to go? What beach do we want to go to? What resort? What lake? You know, how are we going to get there? And we spend all this time looking at hotels or condos and what's the best place to eat and what's the best way to get there and travel plans. We spend a lot of time looking and figuring out vacation, right? Very few of us go, hey, let's get in the car tomorrow and go on vacation. We plan for it, right? And vacation lasts about a week for most of us. Seven days, and we spend a lot of thought getting ready for vacation. And I would challenge us with this idea is how much time do you spend preparing for eternity? I mean, do you spend more time planning for vacation than you do planning for eternity? Because eternity is a long time, and it sure makes sense that we would spend time figuring out what does eternity look like, what does forever look like in our lives. And so here's where we're going today. The message title today is One Minute After You Die. And let me give you a kind of an overview of what the next 20 minutes or so will look like. Is what we're going to do is we're going to look at a bunch of different verses. We're going to mainly be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and you can turn there right now if you want to. Uh, But we're going to look at a bunch of different verses because one of the difficult things about talking about the, the great beyond or the afterlife, heaven and hell and all these topics, is it's not like there's one chapter that says, okay, John chapter 18 is all about this, or 2 Corinthians 12 is all that you need to know about. It comes from different pieces, from writings and what Jesus said and and so forth. And so it takes a bit of a piecemeal to bring that together. But we're going to talk this morning about three things that happen one minute after you die. Three things that happen when you die. Now, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want to be real clear about this. Is this chapter, this book, but this chapter specifically, is written towards Christians. It's written for Christians, and we need to read it through that lens of understanding that it's written for Christians. So we begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. So there's making this comparison between our earthly bodies and our heavenly dwelling. It says our earthly bodies, they're like a tent. It's temporary. It's camping. We're just here for a while, but we're going to eventually go to our eternal dwellings. And so here's the first thing that I want us to understand about when we die. It's this, is I leave my physical body. I leave my physical body. And it continues on. And we're going to look in verse 6. It says this. It says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body. So it's talking about how we have a soul and our soul resides in our body on this earth. So that we know that while we are at home in the body, we are soul. We are away from the Lord. So our soul is away from the Lord because the Lord is in heaven. And then it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would uh, rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So it's saying that we, we, our preference is, as believers, is to be present with the Lord and absent from the body. And this verse um, really took a lot of meaning on for me um, about a year, year and a half ago. Um, some of you know that uh, I lost uh, two very good friends, my 
my best friend Chad and my other best friend James, two of my great friends, they both lost their children to cancer, both of them teenagers, within a month of each other. And it was just, it was a difficult time for me to process that and ask the why questions and, you know, still asking some of that. But this verse really spoke to me because it says, uh, it says, we're of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So both Luke and Katie are saying, we like it in heaven. We don't want to come back. It's better here. You know, and for those of us who are left here on earth, when we lose a friend or a loved one or a family member, we go, it, it kind of sucks to be here. But for you who are with the Lord, it's better that you're there and we're here. And so here's the second truth um, about after we die, is our soul continues to live. So our body rests you know, in the earth in a, in a casket, in a you know, cremation, whatever it is, but our soul goes on and lives forever. Uh, Solomon put it this way, just very succinctly in the book of Ecclesiastes. He writes, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. The soul or the spirit returns to God. And, you know, a question sometimes comes up when we talk about what happens right after we die and the soul going to heaven or the soul going to hell and so forth is, you know, when does that happen? Do we go into like this soul sleep and we kind of sleep for a while till Christ comes back? Or is there a purgatory or do people spend time there? And here's the thing that really helps to clarify this. And this is put in different ways, different places where we can say we go immediately from death to heaven, but it's um, Luke 23, verse 43. This is Jesus speaking. And if you remember, when Jesus was on the cross, there were two criminals that were crucified next to him. And there was a dialogue that went on uh, while they were all three on the cross. And Jesus says this to one of them. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He doesn't say a thousand years from now or day after next. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. So when we die, we immediately go into paradise. And then continues in verse 9. It says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So when we're in heaven, what we will do 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 12 months a year, 365 days a year, you know, however time is counted, it's probably not even counted in heaven, but we will please God. And so what this says, what Paul is saying so whether we're at home or away, whether in heaven or in our bodies here, our aim is to please God. That that's part of what we do in our lives is we want to please God now in the same way that we would please God in heaven. Here's the third thing that happens when we die is I will face judgments. I will face judgments. And judgments is plural, and we'll talk about why that is, but I will face judgments. And you see, the first one is called the, white, the great white throne of judgment comes from Revelation chapter 20. And let me read this to you. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his presence. Earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. 
And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So this is called the great white throne of judgment. And let me explain to you a little bit what this looks like and kind of explain the text here. Um, But basically, the way that this is uh, positioned is that every person will stand before God for this judgment. Everybody in the world over stands before God. And there, the picture is that there's a stack of books. And in that stack of books is written every person's name. All of our names, everybody who lives today, everybody who will live, everybody who has lived, everybody's name is written in that book. And next to it is the deeds that you have done, both good and bad. But the deeds that we have done that are bad, the sins that we have God holds those against us. The good that we do doesn't balance out against that. The way that Paul puts it in the book of Romans, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so because of what is written in, that, in those books with our name and our deeds next to it, that what all of us deserve is hell. What all of us deserve is eternal punishment, separation from God. But also at the great white seat of judgment, there is another book which John refers to in the Revelation as the book of life. It says, if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. And so everybody's name who is found in the book of life, those people go into heaven or go into paradise, as Jesus calls it on the cross, that that's the reward for that. And the question is, you know, well, whose name is written in the book of life and whose name is not written in the book of life? Basically, it's those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. The beginning of John, it says, to those who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Those who believe and receive him, those, their names are written in the book of life. John puts it this way, it's very helpful because it lays out both sides. This is 1 John 5, 11 and 12. It says, God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Those who have Jesus Christ have eternal life, and those who do not have Jesus Christ, as it says here, are thrown into the lake of fire. So that's the first judgment. That's the great white throne of judgment. But there's another judgment, and I want us to understand this. If you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this. This is verse 10. It says, and remember, this is written to Christians. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Well, that sounds a little bit odd in the sense of, well, does that mean that Christians are judged? Like if you do good, you go to heaven. If you don't do well, you go to hell. That seems like works type of judgment. And here's why I say it's important to understand this is written towards Christians. This is what theologians call the Bema judgment, the Bema judgment. It comes from a Greek word. In our Bible, in your Bible, mine says judgment seat of Christ. Uh, But in the original Greek, it's not judgment seat. It's just this four-letter word of Bema, the Bema of Christ. And what happens at this judgment seat of Christ, at this bema of Christ, is that our uh, lives are put before him, right? And this is, again, I want to be very, very, very clear. This is not a heaven or hell judgment. This is God 
bring us before, and we give account for what we've done with our lives. That all that God has given to you, you say, what have you done? God says, what have you done with what I've given you? The talents, the treasure, the time, all the opportunities, what have you done with what I have given you? And there's a judgment that we stand before God with. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, and it gives us an understanding of it. It says this, Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, and so the foundation he's referring to is Jesus Christ is the Savior of your life. If anybody builds on that foundation, so with wood or silver, precious stones, gold, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And so we all have the foundation of Christ. Those who are believers, you have the foundation of Christ that Jesus is your Savior. And then what this is saying is that there's this second judgment, again, not for heaven and hell, but it's what have you done? And so the works that you have done will be examined and we will stand before God and give an account of all that he has given to us. We get a picture of this in a few different places uh, in the New Testament, uh, but one of the things that comes out in a number of different places is it talks about there are crowns in heaven. And maybe you've heard people use that expression, there are crowns in heaven. I'm going to receive crowns in heaven, or you're going to get a crown in heaven for that. And there's five specific crowns listed in the Bible, and I'll put those on the screen. You can take a picture with your phone, or it's on the app if you want them. But there's the imperishable crown, which is from 1 Corinthians 9, and it's given to those who run the race of life with Christ with purpose and sharing the gospel. There's the crown of righteousness given to those who follow God, who follow Christ all the way to the ends of their lives. There's the crown of rejoicing given to those who lead others to Christ. There's the crown of glory that are give, that's given to those who lead well within the context of the church. And finally, there's the crown of life. James 1, 12, uh, 12 talks about that. It's given to those who remain faithful in the face of persecution. So those are five crowns. I don't know that those are necessarily a, a finite list. I think it's a sampling of the crowns that people will receive in heaven. But you know, you may be thinking, well, I'll be glad to get to heaven. I don't know that I need crowns to wear around heaven. Well, what does that look like? And there's a great picture of heaven. This is probably a little bit longer than one minute after you die, but we'll include it here. But it's this picture of worship that happens in heaven. It's in Revelation chapter 4, and there's just one little part of it as a part of this worship service in heaven. It says, they cast their crowns before the throne the throne of Jesus, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. And so we take the crowns that we've been given and we lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, it's, it's not what I have done. It is what you have done through me. It's an act of humility to kneel down before the throne and say, all that I've done in this life, all that I have, anything that I've accomplished of which is praiseworthy is because of you and what you have given to me. So I want to close by asking you two questions. The first question is this. When it comes to the great white throne of judgment, is your name written in the book of life? 
Are you confident that when you stand before the great white throne of judgment, will God say to you, come into my presence, come into heaven? You know, and I would even ask, what will you say at that moment? You're saying, standing there at the great white throne of judgment, and God says, why should I let you in? We say, well, I, I was a good person. I went to church. I helped people. I gave some money. Or will you say, I've received Jesus as the Savior of my life? And I would encourage you this morning, if that's not your answer, to make that answer your this morning. To make that your answer. I have received Christ as my Savior. That's why you go to heaven. That's why your name is written in the book of life. Then I ask the second question. When you're at the Bema Seat Judgment, you're into heaven and you're standing before God, and God will say, what have you done with what I've given you? What will your answer be? As Jesus tells some parables in the New Testament, he talks about, there's this phrase that comes up a few different times where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And as I picture that Bema Seat of Judgment, that's what I want God to say to me. They would say, Matt, well done, good and faithful servant. And I live my life that way because I want to have that moment with God without regret, saying, I have lived my life for you. And he says, come on into eternal happiness. Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, we asked a question at the beginning or a statement, how I live today is determined by what I believe about forever. And if you believe that one day you will stand before God and give an account as a Christian, even as a Christian, about what have you done with what, have you, what God has given you, that will affect how you live your life. You won't want to live your life as one, like it talks about in 1 Corinthians 3, I just barely escaped the flames. I just barely got in. Everything I did was kind of burned up that you want to build a life that's built around eternity. And I would challenge you with that this morning. Is when you stand at that judgment seat and God says, give an account of all that I gave you. How did you do and live with all that I gave you? What will your response be? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for this message and for these truths and God, they, they challenge me, and, and as I try and wrap my brain and my heart around all of it, Lord, it challenges me. And I pray that over these next four weeks that you would challenge all of us to take a look and investigate for ourselves. What does the Scripture say? What do you say about the afterlife and the great beyond? That that might affect how we live our lives today. And God, I pray right now, if there's any here that have not placed their faith in you, they have not received you as Jesus, you just as Savior, that they would do that now, knowing that the result is their names are written in the book of life. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.